Welcome to the Self-Made Expert Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Morgan, and I love speaking with people who are cultivating economically valuable expertise outside the world of academia and the licensed professions. Some of these conversations end up on this podcast. You can learn more about my work helping indie consultants build an expertise moat at philipmorganconsulting.com. Guillaume Viot, welcome to The Self-Made Expert. Hello, Philippe. It's a joy to be here. It's really good to have you here. Folks at home don't know, but they will know now. <laughs> Guillaume's a client, so we've known each other for a while. You'll hear that, I think, in our conversation. And Guillaume, if we could start with the sort of standard, who you are, what you do, that'll set some context for folks listening. And then from there, we can start to explore... Well, we'll see. <laughs> I think we'll talk about a framework that you've created as a part of your self-made expertise. Anyway, some time for you to intro yourself. So my name is Guillaume Viatre, and I have an accent because I come from France. I'm originally from France. I've been a consultant for most of my career, probably 22 years now, something like that. And I specialize in something called strategic narrative. My clients are CEOs, founders, uh, business owners of uh, companies that are already in flight. They're already somewhat established and running the various waves of ups and downs of growth. I help them maintain their trajectory and have the impact that they desire on their market, their community. Uh, mostly my work is valuable to energize their teams and get to new levels of, of growth. And they, they call me when they have uh, new products, new ventures, uh, new things to launch. So I, I work with a lot of innovators, idealist entrepreneurs sometimes. I'm based in Seattle and my work uh, is international. I have clients in France because I'm from there. And... Uh, two or three continents at the, at the moment. That's, a, that's about it at a high level, Philip. So I know this, folks at home don't. So how long ago, Guillaume, were you basically, what was, so if you had described your services, you know, X number of years ago, you would have said something that reduces to, I, I create slide decks, I create pitch decks. That was, yes. that maybe was, it certainly was underselling what you actually did, but that would have been <laughs> essentially the factual way to describe your services. How long ago was that? That was probably uh, four years ago. Okay. And that was only a phase, that was, that was a phase, uh, because if I traced even earlier than that, I would have called it differently. Right. And even before differently, there's, there's been, you know, the, the, the stages in my consulting and expertise evolution. But the, the, the phase right before the current one, you're right. I was calling what I do presentation, coaching, presentation. I forgot. <laughs> I think it was presentation coaching or something like that. Yeah, you've moved on. But I, you know, I love sort of amplifying the contrast because in four years, you've moved from you know presentations or pitch decks to I'm advising C-level people on strategy issues. Yes, you know, I think uh, what I've been do what I did is I was I just told the truth because I was doing those presentation pitch decks for the same people. I was just mar marketing it differently. Do you find one or the other 
at this point in things, things are changing all the time, but do you find one or the mm-hmm. other easier to sell? For right now, yes. Presentations are a commodity. Mm. They come with all sorts of assumptions that, yeah, that, that make it kind of easier to sell. It's a very busy market. It's a mm-hmm. very commoditized market. You know, it's t- currently I'm, what I'm seeing is that uh, people are building apps to create presentations now. It's it's going to be like the next, you know, like we have apps now that can write uh, blog articles. It's going right. to be the same thing. People think about presentations as, as slides, slide design, slide decks. But uh, so so in that regard, they're easier to sell. But what I do is currently slightly harder to sell because I'm still I'm still figuring this out. Mm-hmm. But I, but I'm already seeing that ultimately it's going to be even easier to sell than the presentation work that than I was doing before. So I'm I'm making a bet. Uh, yeah, that's my that's my view on this. Yeah, right. I I, I knew that. Well, I didn't know which would be easier to sell, but I, I knew you would say something like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. And, and I, do, do you ever think about the fact that you have that sort of fundamentally optimistic view of, I'm trying something uncertain, it's a gamble, it's a bet, it'll probably work out. Maybe you don't always think that way, but <laughs> I'm curious how that works for you, that how you incorporate <laughs> optimism into your business. <laughs> I've always thought like that, Philip. And okay. it, it's uh it's been a concern for many people around me, my, in my family, <laughs> my parents, my brothers and sisters, and my wife right now. I, I am very optimistic by nature. I see the bright side and I will not uh, let self-doubt uh, come into my life, although it's knocking at the door of my life every day, every minute. Mm. I can hear it, but I'm will I will not let self-doubt uh, <laughs> Or, or I hate, um, you know, people call themselves, oh, I'm the devil advocate. Mm-hmm. Let me play devil's advocate for a minute. Uh-huh. Okay, I get, I get it. If I hear this in, 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 in the conversation, uh, I, I, see, I, see, I see what this means. You know, we're, we're trying to see how an idea works. And, that, and that's fine. But some people really live by this narrative. And I ran into this narrative as I uh, co-founded my second startup. And I, you know, I remember one day very vividly pitching my startup to a guy who was potentially going to become our advisor and help us funding, find funding. And he, he, he really had this attitude. And I, I'm like, I hate this conversation. So I, I shortened the meeting and walked away. And that day I realized I, I had just hate that, that mentality. It's just not helpful. So to answer your question, Philippe, how this plays out in my business right now, yeah, I, I am super optimistic about what I do and uh I you know it is it is working. It is going to work even better. It is gonna be uh it, it's gonna have the impact that I want to have on my clients. That's what I care mostly about. So if you Did I answer I'm sorry, did I answer your question? This I didn't know we <laughs> were this, gonna this, go here, but let me okay. this is not me playing devil's advocate. This is me being myself. Mm-hmm. I have a different personality than you. And okay. I'm beset sometimes by melancholy and mm-hmm. depression and a mm-hmm. somewhat more, uh, like maybe the center of gravity for me is a little more pessimistic. So maybe mm-hmm. I'm asking mm-hmm. you to tell me how you do something that's effortless that you've never thought about how you do it. But that's my question. What can someone who is not as, 
Well, I mean, do, do you work to be optimistic or is it, does it come naturally? No, I, 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 so I think I have, a, I have that nature because I remember when I was a kid, I remember I, I went to a fair one day and there was this game uh, where you, you just pay like, uh, it was in Frank at the time in mm -hmm. France. You pay like a few francs and you could play that game and to try to win, a, to, you know, win one of those big prizes. And I think I think I spent all my kids' savings uh, <laughs> because I really wanted to to win that. It was a radio cassette, you know, uh -huh. uh, thing. <laughs> I think I spent my sa my savings, and then I went to look for for. I, I asked my grandma if you could uh, give me my upcoming Christmas money. <laughs> you got a <laughs> so loan. She was my first. She, I got a loan. She was my first investor. So. <laughs> So I think by nature, so I can I can trace that nature very early on. I was uh -huh. maybe not even ten year, ten years old, and I think I've always uh, felt this. You know, when when I wake up in the morning, I look forward uh, to leave the day. Mm -hmm. But there is work also uh, involved. I, I think your question is actually making me realize that I do work for this. Uh, I journal every day, for instance. Mm -hmm. Is that the early early in the day, late in the day? Uh, uh, my, my definition of early is 6 a.m. Uh -huh. I wake up nat I wake up naturally at 5.45. Okay. Uh, don't, don't ask me why. I don't know why it's, I, I have a clock and I've, I've not using, I've not used the alarm of the, on a clock in years. Yeah. Every time I wake up, I push the light and it says 5.40, 5.45. I wake up, I, I, I make myself coffee. And then the first thing I do is open my journal. Mm -hmm. I, I, I have a stamp, you know, a date, a stamp date. I, yeah. I use that stamp, click, and that, that click signifies the beginning of the day. And okay. the first thing I write is who I am grateful for. Ah. And, th and that puts me in that mood already of positive thinking and joy. And it's not always, it doesn't come always right away. And, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes I don't, I, don't, I don't have an answer to that question. And that's okay. I, I fill up, you know, the other categories in my journal, like my, what, what my, what's my goal today? What are my targets? How, how do I want to leave that day? And see, I, I build a narrative for that day. I, actually, I just, I just came up with that. I just realized I, I built the narrative and the, the narrative I want for my days is as, as positive as possible. But mm -hmm. some days are not as positive as the, uh, as I wanted them to be, you know, I'm just like everybody else. Um, I've got bad things happen or the disappointments or, mm -hmm. you know, low points. And I write them down too. I go, I go in my uh, section of my journal where I have a weekly reflection column. Okay. And there are, there are three sections there, low, high, and, and memories. And I write the low points too. So I, I work, you're right. I actually do some work and I think it infuses everything else. Lately, I, I've started new activities, new, as, as you know, I, I write seven days a week mm -hmm. uh, on my email list. I do a weekly talk called the strategic, I mean, I just finished that format, but it's, it, it was called strategic narrative underground. Mm -hmm. These are, these moments are exciting, but also scary. And I could let the doubt and the feeling of depression like i could let i, I could let this uh, you know inhabit me in those moments but because i journal before <laughs> you know my thoughts are already on paper so they tend to have more power because i wrote them down <laughs> right so you are sort of 
describing the day you want to have. You're, you're starting with exactly gratitude for yeah. people, not things. I don't know if you excluded things or if, if it's really... No, I, okay. it starts with a, with someone in mind, but yeah. there is also, also things, uh-huh. things for sure. Yeah. And then you're also saying, this is the day, this is like, I, I want to say idealized, but it is. maybe not. But this is the day I want to have. It looks like this. This is what's going to happen. Yes. Okay. It is the ideal day. It's like today, what would be, and in fact, there is a, a call, you know, the last rubric, the last section on the left page of the, of each day is what will make the day, what will make today great? <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, Are so you I, describe- tr- I try. Okay. Are you describing how you feel, what you will do, something else as you describe that idealized day? I tend to lean, that's a great question. I, because I, I say it's a great question because I, I didn't think about that before. Uh, so it's in, great because I want to explore that for a moment. I think I I have that journal in front of me. So let me take a look. I think it's mostly achievements, like okay. concrete things. Uh-huh. Uh, like uh, I'm, I'm looking like two months ago I had mm-hmm. here. I want to have the first sign up to my strategic narrative workshop mm-hmm. for September 14th. Right. That's what I wanted. That would, that, that would have. It didn't happen. Right. It's okay. Uh, it happened uh, later <laughs> <laughs> than that day, but it still happened. But that, it it was like what would make me happy. That's beautiful. Thank you. I didn't know you did that, and I think I've got something I can try <laughs> in my own life. <laughs> the, I use a I use a specific journal. You know, I didn't come up with the the, the categories that design, but it took me. I've always journaled. I've journaled on blank sheets of, uh, you know, blank journals forever. But a few years ago, I thought, I, I started hearing about all those productivity journals. And I went to a conference and one of the gifts in the bags that they give you was one of those. I can't remember the brand. I tried that journal. It didn't work so well. But I thought there was something there. That I thought, ah, I'm I'm attracted by this idea of having more of a can- of a uh, of a of a canvas to help me build habits mm-hmm. and help me th- track things and get organized. And uh, fi- finally, after I tried three or four different brands, I, I found the one that I like. Do you yeah, want to know I, which one it is? We all do. All of me and all the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so it's called the Self Journal. It's called the Self, and the brand is i think it's called uh, your best self i think so okay so the self yeah. the self journal by the self journal okay it's called bestself.co okay that's really really interesting another question i did not know i would ask but now that you've shared this part of your life 4 years ago <laughs> were were you writing in your journal i will advise the c suite on strategy on strategy what did, did did you have any kind of long-term vision of that happening it was not as clear as it is today okay i think i was not making the focus committed choices that i made recently and that i continue to make now uh-huh. it was way way broader it was i, I would have said i'm gonna help people i'm gonna help uh, business people make their ideas better. Okay. So that's super, <laughs> it's like everyone. Okay, but there was a, f- what was there that stayed the same? Like, 
what part of that impulse to, quote, help business people make their ideas better stayed the same? So I've been in enough situations, you know, meetings, projects, uh, relationships where I started to see a pattern clearly early on in my career, which was that to run effective businesses, positive businesses, you need to have good collaboration and you, ha you need to, to have clarity of mind. You need to have ways for communicating that are effective. That uh -huh. was my kind of my starting, that was my starting point. Okay. And, and as I, as I, you know, as I went on in my career, I, I realized because we think about organizations a certain way, the people who have a lot of responsibility for this are people in charge, in command. You know, you call them the executive, the CEOs, I mean, the founders, whoever is ultimately responsible for the future of, of a company. The, the responsibility is, is distributed through everyone. But I realized that uh, the people who have more power than others to, to make this happen are, uh, the, you know, the, the, the C-suite people in mm -hmm. large companies. Right. So I decided, okay, if I want to change this, if I want to, I, if, if I want to help create companies where it's better, it feels better to work, it's more effective, it's more inspiring to work, it feels that we, we are, we're, we're doing well. Um, not just not just by the numbers, but be, you know, doing well um, as a community. I have to talk to the people who are able to 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 make decisions in in that direction. I, and mm -hmm. it's typically the CEO. It's typically the CEO. And at first, it was very scary. I you know, I was I, I just had this gut feel, but I didn't know how to talk to them or or or, or how to say it, what to do. There was one day, there was a particular meeting in 2001. I was in France. I, I had not immigrated to the United States at the time. Mm -hmm. I was a young consultant. So I was 28 at the time. And I, was, uh, I started a project with a very large, uh, I mean, the, the, the largest um, French oil and gas company. I think there's only one now. Uh -huh. It's called Total. Okay. Uh, it's probably number three in, in the world very large organization and I was brought on because it happened that I had knowledge of what an electronic catalog is. At the time it's 2001. It's, uh, it's a time when companies try to digitize most of their process, hurry to do it, you know, pour a lot of money to do that. Hmm. And that they, you know, I am, I'm sent to that big organization alone to try a project with the procurement group of Total. Uh -huh. And I always remember the first day I show up and I had done, done some prep with the sponsor of the project, sent some emails and propose an agenda. And I sit in this room with, you know, the, 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 the executives of this, of this company, the procurement, the head of procurement, all the engineers, it's about 20 people. And um, it was super scary, Philip. It was like, Wow, this is uh, you know it's very impressive. I remember the color, the smell, the the uh -huh. ambiance was very soulless. Uh huh. Very. <laughs> it was really not me. And um, thirty minutes into the meeting, I thought this this is not going well. I mean, like, people didn't listen to each other. We they are derailing the agenda constantly. And you know, very quickly, I thought I I have 
I have two options. They're going to either I say nothing and they're going to fire me in a few days because I'm not going to be, I'm, I'm not going to bring any value. I'm just going to mm -hmm. leave them where they are. Uh, I forgot to say they called me because they they had this procurement project that was stuck and they needed somebody who had some knowledge. And um, I decided to actually take over the derailing process and derail it my way. <laughs> and I said, do you mind if if I if I hand you if we draw the project? So I handed everyone a, a letter size sheet of paper with a pen, and I asked if they could draw the project. Uh -huh. uh, my, I, I am an artist too. I like drawing a lot, and I I've always thought it's a very effective way to communicate. It's undervalued, and they did it to my surprise. <laughs> and what came out of this is. Uh, is they we put all the drawings so they they drew the project individually so there was silence in the room for two three minutes uh -huh. very heavy silence they uh -huh. were drawing and then we put those drawings on the on the whiteboard you know with the little little magnets and those drawings did the rest of the job for me I didn't have to say anything it was obvious that they didn't have the same vision of their project project in which they had you know they had poured twenty million euros at the time and that gave me huge confidence. I earned so much trust for taking this risk and I stayed on and I worked with them for almost a year. And what somebody told me during the project is, hey, you know what, we are the coffee machine in front of the coffee stand. And they're mm -hmm. like, oh, you know what? We never told you, but we hired Ernst & Young and Capgemini before for this massive consulting firm. They, they, they were both fired by this group because they were, they were not able to make them work together. So that risk there that day where I almost peed my pants for asking big executive and uh, at this oil and gas company to draw their project, <laughs> this huge risk uh, I realized was, I thought, okay, this is, this is how I want to operate from now on. This is who I want to be. This is the kind of consulting I'm excited about. So uh, that, that gave me huge confidence to, to overcome this apprehension of challenging people with a big title in a big organization. And the reputation I started to build, even when I was in the United States, uh, I, I moved here in 2008 in my mid-30s. And uh, when I got back in, in, in consulting here, my reputation st started to be you know, based also on that. Like, oh yeah, Guillaume has this way to nudge the people we can't nudge. You know, he creates this safe and this, this uncomfortable but safe environment hmm. that challenges the status quo. And so I can do that. The only thing that would make that Total story more amazing is if you had given them crayons along with the paper. <laughs> right. Yeah. What we, we just had, I think it was just like regular pens in that room. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. I, wish. I, st I still do it. I still do it. I mean, I still did it until COVID because my work is now 90% remote. Right. Yeah, if, if smartwatches had existed and you had a heart rate monitor, uh, that would be pretty, pretty amazing to see, see what your heart rate looked like during that. So, <laughs> so four years ago, you're doing presentations, presentation coaching. You've had this earlier experience of realizing that sea uh, level people can be steered <laughs> with, you yes. know, with some risk-taking <laughs> and, and creative approaches. They can be steered. They can yep. be uh, 
like you can communicate with, you can get them out of a rut and you can actually communicate with them. So what has got you to where you are now, where you have what I would think of as a framework? Do we, mm -hmm. do we need to hear you say what's wrong with storytelling? I guess that's our starting point, isn't it? <laughs> that's our yeah. Well, I, I tried, I tried all sorts of methods and techniques to achieve that goal, I I, uh, I love what you said, Philippe. Like you know, how to steer sea level people, uh, because uh, yeah. it, it it ties to the name of my company. My company is called MetaHelm, mm -hmm. and I like to think about. I I think my one of my older tagline is I you know guiding the guides, mm -hmm. and sea level people are in charge of steering the boat. Technically, that's the metaphor. But right. I come to help them steer. I yeah. tried all sorts of techniques, you know, com uh, some techniques were more um, personal communication based. I took classes and I got a certification in the early 2000s about, uh, you know, on, on interpersonal communication mm -hmm. techniques, uh, conflict resolution, meeting facilitation. So very intangible, very relationship based. Then when I came to the um, United States, I decided, okay, I, I'm really, you know, this visual thinking thing, everything visual, I, I, I really love it. Mm -hmm. I've always liked it. Why don't I explore this? Why don't I uh, train in those techniques? And so I'm a lifelong learner. I'm always taking some kind of training, always. Mm -hmm. And I decided I wanted to go learn from Edward Tufty. So I attended one of his workshops. He used to do the, those tours on the West Coast every year. I went to San Diego. I flew there. Can, wait, can we you stop know, right there? Can, can, are you able to sure. speak, speak freely about the workshop experience? Yeah. Okay. Sure. He's yeah. not going to call you up and of, yell at you if you... So no. <laughs> was it? how was it? I, I've heard mixed reports. I've heard some folks say, well, mm -hmm. he's just kind of not really reading aloud from his books, but essentially doing that. And I, I've heard some of the not greatest things. And then I ran the numbers on what, it, how much money he would make if he filled all his workshop schedule for the year. And I was like, that's not bad. That's a, that's a nice amount of money. Anyway, that's where I'm coming from. So I'm just curious. <laughs> it, how was it? Yeah. It felt very much like a, uni like a very large, so I was in San Diego in this hotel ball ballroom there's probably 150 to 200 people in this easily 200 mm -hmm. maybe more it was filled oh and, so he booked uh, the whole room okay or he filled the whole room yeah yeah he filled the whole room it was filled with with you know uh, you know they line up those tables and yeah I, I don't know hundreds of people in there and it's a show i mean it's it's really orchestrated as a show mm -hmm. i still feel like i i learned quite a bit you know I was I was avidly taking notes and yeah. going from one aha moments to the other and yes he's you know it's all about his books you get his books yeah it's a class it's a, it's a lecture it's a lecture and then at the break he has this thing called office hours where you're able to approach him to get close to him uh -huh. and have him sign his book and um and ask questions and and um and uh and so I I uh, I decided I'm going to show him some of the work I do and get his feedback. Uh huh. <laughs> and um, and he t he t he he uh, how do you say it? he tear teared it down? <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> he just, yeah. He just he just destroyed it. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> and the, and, the, and that that was and I le I left this interaction thinking, <sighs> okay, I guess I don't know anything. 
But at the same time, I thought, right, but this is very, his feedback was super theoretical. He didn't ask any question about the context or uh, who this was for. Or, right. And I still felt like, uh, yeah, okay, I, I may be able to improve based on his feedback, but I'm still going to continue in the direction that I'm headed towards. And it's, it, it turned out I was right. I, at the time, I was, I was crunching data for one of the federal agencies here on the West Coast, coast called uh, Bonneville, um, Bonneville Power Administration, mm -hmm. powering the West Coast with you know, electricity. Yeah. I was doing a big workforce study as a consultant. And, I, and for some reason, you know, after a month of putting the numbers and trying to have people react on the numbers, the data, the analytics, uh, nobody seemed to react to that. So I decided to overlay the number on their org chart. And they have a very old old workforce. And per Tufty standard, this was the worst visualization. He's, he, one of the worst he had ever seen. <laughs> but per my standard, it did, it did the most beautiful thing that I had probably done in my career, which was a vivid reaction to make the executive at this administration go, holy cow, it's the first time we see our problem that vividly we, we're going to do something about it. Oh, that's amazing. I was a subcontractor on a project to BPA. You and I have worked for the mm. same client. I did not know that. Really? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was a really... So you know. Well, you know. in a limited way. It was, a, it was just absolutely fascinating. Um, yeah, we'll have to compare notes sometimes about that. I don't, I don't want to take the focus away from this. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in a lot of things, but one of the things that's so interesting to me is to see someone who has accrued such massive authority. I'm talking about Edward Tufte, who mm -hmm. I don't know personally, and has, he's done wonderful work. I'm curious how they find other ways to monetize that authority. You know, his authority has come from his thinking expressed through his books, mm -hmm. I would say. And so it's always interesting to sort of look at, well, what else could they do with that? Or what else have they done with that? That's what, mm -hmm. that's, I mean, I'm not, wasn't wanting to hear some kind of, you know, positive or negative story about him, just a firsthand experience of him mm -hmm. finding another outlet to monetize that authority. Oh, you know, th this workshop was in 2011, Philip. So that was 10 years ago. I, uh -huh. I I can only imagine he probably, especially with COVID, he can't do. He was not able to do his workshop in right. person, so he probably is. It's probably now online, maybe self-taught. I don't know. I'll have to check and see. <laughs> so, okay, where were we? <laughs> you were. We we were. So I was I was trying all sorts of techniques. Right. And the the next thing that was kind of you know, that was going to happen is that I was going to run into storytelling. Why? Why, why was that the inevitable next thing? It's the, it's the, it, was, it was the inevitable next thing because for, for several reasons. There is a contextual element. This was early 2000, late, uh, early 2000s. Okay. And all of a sudden, everybody is starting to really talk in business to talk more about storytelling. There is books, books are published, uh, you know, there are more authors publishing great books about storytelling, but you, you, you can tell the field is, the idea is, yeah, we, we in business also should um, use the techniques that screenwriters, movie makers, advertisers use to do all sorts of things, to be better strategists, to, to trigger change, to run better businesses, engage people, et cetera, et cetera. 
I'm so, so sorry to interrupt. Was there any sort of progenitor to that? Would we call it a movement, the storytelling movement, or anyway, that widespread popularity of this idea that you just described? Was there? Do you see that coming from any particular origin point? Uh, I don't know, Philippe, because okay. I think I think I was not paying attention when it probably sure, started. Sure, sure. Okay, so but but it was in full swing around it was really in full yeah. so yeah yeah there was not a day where i could see i could see a, an ad for a storytelling workshop or even in my consulting firm yeah like yeah we should we should do more storytelling right okay storytelling this storytelling that so so i ran into this and i and just like everyone everybody else i thought yeah awesome idea <laughs> that's great yeah and at first i thought well the first the first reaction was that's very cool. You know, there are some models. I'm, I'm, you know, sifting through the, through one book, two books, three books, and next thing you know, I'm ordering tons of books on Amazon and mm-hmm. and other other sources, and I'm seeing, you know, oh, jo- Joseph Campbell uh, already mapped out what this, you know the story arc decades ago. Okay, great, we could do that. And I'm trying, I'm trying to incorporate this in my work. There's really that tension between all those models that that feel very rational and and the fact that we are all storytellers already, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's, that's who we are as humans. Look what we're doing in this podcast. Yeah. And so, so, so I keep reading one book after the other in search of the perfect model. And I try to apply uh, many of those models, some successfully, some less successfully. And I come to the conclusion that Okay, we're trying to make this scientific, but there is really some kind of art, some element of, uh, yeah, so, some uh, something I can't explain, <laughs> and some magic, some energy I can't explain about sto- about storytelling. Uh-huh. And at some point, it's I start thinking, okay, I'm getting tired of this buzzword, and also I realize that no one knows what it is really, and now I have data to prove it because I do research and I ask the question. What is a story, and nobody really knows. So, <laughs> right. So, so that's that's how I I, ca- I came across this. Uh, I I still learned a lot from those books. I mean, and and you can tell the movement is not over. I think it's morphing. And at some point, I decided, well, okay. So either I, either I stay there, I move on, I do something else, or maybe I have a say. I, I'm I mean I'm I'm approaching my I'm in my forties now. And I'm starting to feel like I have a point of view. I, there's things that I disagree with and things that I agree with. And and I'm also start, starting to see that point of view can be helpful to my clients. There is something different. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how I met you, Philippe. I was uh, looking for somebody to help me d- build that point of view. I didn't exactly know what a point of view was, but I could feel like, okay, I, I it's either you call it, you know, I have to hone my voice or I, I I have to be able to say what I think more freely. And right now I feel very, I feel like an imposter after reading dozens of books on storytelling. Nobody's going to believe me. Who cares about my voice? Who cares about what I have to say? But still, I would love to be able to say it. Yeah. And so, so I, I, so that's how I, I got into this. And uh, after if we, I've been working with you for now a year or a year and a half, I think maybe two. Uh, and uh, the, really, the writing process that we do in TEI made something incredible happen. One of those late nights, I'm, I'm reading my my I'm writing my daily article, 
and I catch myself in one of the uh, in a sentence using the word story and the word narrative as synonyms. Uh huh. And um, I use Grammarly to write to uh, to check on my English. Wait, is that where you got your point of view from? Did Grammarly just give that to you? <laughs> is, that, is that bundled with the the top tier of the subscription? It has. <laughs> it, it 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 created the starting point for it, <laughs> part because Grammarly said Grammarly said something like, "Hey, you've used the word story too many times in this paragraph. What about narrative?" Huh. I'm like. I, 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 Philippe, I, I don't want to make up that story. I can't remember if it was Grammarly, you know, popping up this little message on the side of the screen, or, or if I realized it myself. But, but I could tell, like, okay, I, I have to, I have to do something. And, and then in my, in my mind, I go, wait a minute. If there are two words, maybe that's for a reason. And I, I realized after all those years talking about storytelling, I, I never really paid attention to the, uh, seminal definition of what a story is, like. Uh -huh. So I go to the dictionary and I, 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 online dictionary, and I look at one dictionary and I see, well, pretty much the definition is the same. So I go to the next dictionary and after the third one, I finally find a definition that I found intriguing in the Webster, um, Webster dictionary. Mm -hmm. And it says in there that a narrative is an interpretation of of facts. So, and I'm like, yeah, actually that, that makes sense when in the, in the, in our daily life, when we say, oh, the narrative about this, the narrative about that, what, what we are referring to is uh, a certain perspective, uh, an interpretation of events, or it's a myth, or it's something that the human mind creates as a result of seeing, uh, feeling, and, and, and hearing about stories. Right. Uh, so I thought there is something there that story and narratives are different. And months after that, so I so I first first thing I did is I researched who 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 has ever talked about this. Wait, can and I there stop? There is one. I'm sorry. Can sure. I stop you right there. So <laughs> I could imagine another world where you know you you saw okay uh, story and narrative technically mean different things. Right. Okay. Fine. People are buying storytelling consulting now. Mm -hmm. Let's don't, the music is playing, let's don't stop the music and stop the party here. Let's just, let's just go with what the market understands already. I could see uh, that being a viable uh, response to, to encountering this, this dissonance maybe, or this question. Why were you not satisfied to just leave it alone? Because I thought this was not, this was a lie. This was okay. a, I thought they, they, I thought we're not telling the whole truth to people here. Okay. We are making this, we're oversimplifying this for economic reasons. We're trying to sell books, services, uh -huh. consulting. This is not ethical. We have to go to the bottom of this. Okay, got it. So you uh, got... Not much sleep that night <laughs> when you no, had yeah. this realization. <laughs> what happened next? I I went to bed. <laughs> I can't remember. Probably late. Yeah. <laughs> and I I wrote this article uh, called "Story versus Narrative and Why It Matters." And I think it's the most. Uh, so, sometimes I I look at the Google Analytics on my website. Mm -hmm. I think it's the most read article. Okay. And I thought, okay, that was fun to write. And and I, I I researched who else talks about that, 
is I, I came across John Hagel, who's uh, who's explained the difference between both. Give uh -huh. a give a a very compelling, you know, um, you know, exp explanation. He's probably the only one. But then I started continuing to do some some research about who else talks about narrative, specifically about the narrative in the way I describe it. And so that's that's when I come across the I ran into sorry the field of narratology. So people studying it's a very meta field because it's the study. It, it it's stories about stories, if you will. Ah, okay. And and how and how they influence society, how they influence tons of things. Is is there um, an example so I, of that sort of story about story right. that has society level influence? Yes, so many. Uh, Can you just pick one? Because I'm mm -hmm. I'm struggling oh, yeah, sure. to grasp what would be an okay. example of that. Okay, recycling. Ah, uh, I just need to talk about this a couple of weeks ago. Okay. We we hear those stories about how recycling is great, and you know how you uh, how you put your once you're you, once you're done with a with a with a plastic bottle whatever packaging, you know we 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 imagine that it's recycled you know magically mm -hmm. it goes back and then and so we we feel we probably feel okay with this. And we and there's been tons of stories about recycling, shared and and produced and advertised, and the concept of recycling is something made up uh, and financed by the. If you do, if you do the research, it's actually the research shows that it's it's financed by the packaging manufacturers, who in the I think in the late 60s, early 70s, who found that this was the this was going to be the greatest thing after sliced bread to sell more packaging mm. and not make people feel bad about littering everywhere and 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 killing the environment mm -hmm. uh, there was also regulations pressure there and so we are all in this because we hear all those stories and we've heard them when we were kids very early on and we don't uh, we don't challenge those stories we now all operate under the narrative so the interpretation, you know, that it's it's kind of our modus operandi in our mind that we can keep going like this. That recycle is great, but if you look at the numbers, really uh, lately, especially, we only recycle about eight percent of what we throw in the in the blue bin. Mm -hmm. So there is a very positive narrative about recycling that is starting to shift. It's starting to be a, a kind of a toxic nar narrative now. And the media have started talking, you know, about this. Uh, so there is debate there. So that's an example. Okay. So maybe it's not technically correct to say it this way, but it sounds like there's a way in which stories, stories that are repeated kind of roll up into beliefs. And those yes. beliefs that's, that's are... That's a good way to say it. Okay. So they're shared by large groups of people. Yeah. And my, my definition of a, of a narrative is a system of stories. How did you arrive at that? Because that's so simple and beautiful. Mm -hmm. A system of story. <laughs> One, two, three, four. That's four words, right? Um, Seven, if you add a narrative is. Like, that's a, right. That's amazing. I'd say, I, I mean, can you stop back and step back and look at yeah. that with me? You have a seven word, uh, clear, unambiguous. I mean, it, okay, it leads to more questions, but it, in seven words, you can start to explain what a narrative is that's amazing right. and i and i say 
I say a strategic, a strategic. Now, this is the definition of a narrative. Mm -hmm. Now, now if I if I layer onto that the word strategic, which means really for the purpose of building a business, right? It's like in the business context. Yeah. A, a, a strategic narrative is a system of stories that you build intentionally to invite people to achieve an opportunity. Still very clear and succinct. Okay, I'm glad. I passed the test. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, I'm just, I'm hearing That's great. some of That's this good. not for the first time and some of this said for the first time. Of course, I have questions. Okay, what kind of, of course, opportunity? Yeah. You know, like I think almost anybody who's even moderately interested in this topic would have follow-up questions, which I I didn't mean to like start critiquing your, your uh, <laughs> definition, but I, th I just think okay. anything that sort of answers the question and also invites further discussion is a really powerful combination for something like a point of view where you can say, I have a simple, clear way of understanding this, but also we should keep talking if you're interested because there's a lot more for me to tell you about this. That's this mm -hmm. beautiful, like, you know, some people say things with such a lack of clarity that there's, you don't even know where to begin with the follow-up questions. You're just shut down by their right. lack of clarity. That's not at all what's happening here. Anyway, no. yeah. please continue. <laughs> well, I, I, I want to go back to, I, th I think you're right. I want to go back to the question you asked about how did I come up with that? It's a, it's a series of, of little things that I think created a big aha moment for me, a big epiphany. Mm -hmm. um, so in, in the mix, what, do we, what did I run? What, what, what happened to me? First of all, um, I think I was, reading, I was reading an article about narratives or stories or s somewhere. And, I, and in, in, that in that article, they were, the, writer, the author was using the, um, the example of religions. You know stories. You know mm -hmm. in religions, yeah. the Bible. You know the big, big, uh, the Torah, the yeah. uh, the Quran, whatever. How 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 the stories form religions? And I come from France. We've got lots of cathedrals. You know, huge, beautiful monuments in France. And when you're a kid, you go visit this cathedral. And I I've always loved those cathedrals. And one of the things I love in cathedrals are the stained glass. Uh huh. Those giant stained glasses tell wonderful stories yeah uh, incredible stories and in the middle age they were very important for society because they were able to remind people of the stories that created a belief a religion right, right? they those, those stories were essential to keep people uh, grouped organized in communities uh, and then form countries, nations. Mm -hmm. So, so religion very, very early on, and I, I, we can we can go even back to the Egyptians, and and even back, even way before that, we've always had as as human beings, you know, this natural tendency to tell, share stories, to convey our beliefs, and move forward, and believe that we can make the world better, that we we can survive, and thrive, and. And I noticed, okay, they, those, those big stained glasses are like systems. And they are literally systems. They are very beautiful geometrical systems. Mm -hmm. They are super organized. And so it, what's interesting here is that if we talk about a system, a system can be you know, organic, but also we can understand, we can break it down, we can deconstruct it, we can manipulate it also. That's, and I mean manipulate uh, also for negative reasons. 
like propaganda, for instance. But if if we if if we start thinking about storytelling this way, this opens up to a whole new aspect that no one is really talking about, which is how do we combine stories together in a more careful way so that they create a better outcome. And um, I had been I had been reading and exploring um, a philosopher called Ken Wilber. Mm-hmm. And Ken Wilber wrote a, a book called The Theory of Everything. And he has this model uh, in his book called the AQAL uh, stands for, or AQAL for stands for all quadrant or level, uh-huh. and his goal with this model was to uh, be able to map out all of the human disciplines ever created to make uh, human beings more conscious. That approach really resonated very very strongly with me because I've always been a holistic thinker. I've always th- thought about mixing techniques together you i mean i you know even early on in my career when I, I when i helped executives you know see i i'm sitting in his room and i thought about hey what about throwing drawing in the mix what what is it going to happen what is uh-huh. he going to do <laughs> <laughs> is he going to blow up <laughs> you, you, yeah you <laughs> so, mixed uh, visual thinking and and peeing in your pants uh earlier and peeing in my pa- <laughs> exactly exactly so so i i love this approach and i and I thought, how could this work with my idea of uh, narrative as a system of stories? And I basically um, adapted this model for my purposes. Mm-hmm. I, I, I bent it. I, I'm still working on bending it. I'm still working on... Um, first of all, I, 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 if you look at this model, you will see it's flipped. Uh, it's flipped uh, vertically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because uh, I see things differently than... So, yeah. That's how I and 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 from then on I had two axes. So my model looks like two axes. It's a four, you know, it's a two by two. Right. It's a quadrant, and um, those four areas are called the origin story, the opportunity story, the perspective story, and the product story. And once I was able to map this out visually, and and rationalize this, Philippe, this was just like opening a flood. The floodgate, you say, like opening the uh, a giant tap for yeah. so many ideas, so many examples, so many connections. So, so that's how I got to this model. I love saying, I mean, I love poking gentle fun at things. I so I love saying that you know business people love a two by two, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. It um, you know it, it promises to reduce the world of frustrating. Uh, complexity down to something manageable. So I understand. I mean, I, I love a two by two as well. And I think we all do. Did you have to sacrifice fidelity or granularity or resolution to kind of squeeze this model into a two by two? Or, and I'm not criticizing your model. I'm just curious about the process of getting it to that point. Did you say, okay, you know, there's the two by two and then there's other sort of common ways that business people uh, like to see things visualized. Did you sort of compare different visualization tools or how did you approach that part of the modeling? This is a timely, super timely question because no later than this week, <laughs> I had the same question. Like how many models did I, uh, did I actually came up with? Uh-huh. And uh, the answer is 13. <laughs> I built 13. Thir- 
and I, I, I went to different slide decks and uh -huh. notes and things, you know, around here, around my office, and I, um, I put them all, all on a one, um, on a one slide deck, and I'm, and I'm, I'm like, I'm starting with, okay, I'm starting with the current one, which is this, uh -huh. this four quadrant, and then I go back in time. I go, oh yeah, last year I also designed this one, and that's two, and that's three, and then thirty minutes later, I'm like, gosh, that's thirteen. <laughs> So you and did a sort I, of forensic analysis of your thinking over the last my few years, and yes. there were thirteen uh, sort of iterations. Yes, and they they all mean slightly different things. They all have different; those models have different purposes. One of them um, is helpful to understand the maturity in using this concept of narrative in an organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, another one explains um, what an what a chaotic, unorganized um, system of stories looks like versus an organized one, and 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 so on. I have that. Yeah, I have a, about thirteen iterations of that. That's fascinating. It, I, I mean, I, I have a little bit of like I can close my eyes and see some of these because you've shown them to me, and I can imagine how there's this somewhat perfected form of the model and then there's these others that show different facets of it and i and they sort of elaborate the model they say this you know this this is one place you can go with this this is another place you can go with this but it's interesting that those are the predecessors to this final most perfected form yes and there some of them are also influenced um, by other people who've wrote things about storytelling. And what I noticed is that in, in the, um, it's a very linear field. People think of, sto by definition, a story is a sequence of, um, of events. So most people in, in the storytelling field will, will say, a, they will visualize a story as a story as a, either, either um, uh, they will visualize it on a timeline. It's one dimension mm -hmm. before and after. Uh, and if you look at Donald Miller, like Donald Miller is is a you know is a is, is someone who came up with a, a model, uh, and his model goes from there is a character and the character has a problem. There's a beginning and at the end, and there's a, there's an end. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's when you succeed. The character is happy. You solve their problem. You use that very linear model to clarify your message and make your brand look good. So. My view is that it's not as linear as that. I mean, Joseph Campbell also is a linear. Uh, it's a it's a circle, because the idea is is that um, it repeats itself over and over and over. So it, it's true. Uh, it, it's a circle, but it's a timeline. There is a beginning and an end. And I view this differently. I think of this as a multi-dimensional model where it you know things can happen in random orders sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I see this. I can prove it. I can show you now. I've I've analyzed uh, close to two dozen organizations, and I can demonstrate in the way they operate, communicate, run, how they are founded, that they they you know the story is their stories are completely all over the place. There is no end. <laughs> it's it's ongoing. It's mm -hmm. like we think there is an end, but then oh no, there is no end. There is something else happening. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's why I wanted to find a way to represent this. And then when I saw Ken Wilber's model, this was a very this this was a radical departure from traditional 
ways of thinking about stories that I had learned from all those books. So if you look at my 13 models, really, I started, I started thinking about, I finally I was finally able to think in a multidimensional way probably a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. A year or, or a year ago, and then and then it took me many months to realize that I would have to dare <laughs> accepting this because I was again I was this under this impression that I was an, a total imposter about this field, and only until you actually nudged me, Philip, <laughs> in in April, you said, "Why don't you start?" really publicly talking about this and I this was a huge like moment for me like oh, I <laughs> am I going to be able to do that yeah. who am I to do this and I, I finally dare doing this so I, I this is when I, I I brought this model to the public I went on uh, you know online invited my people on my list I the first meeting I had about a dozen people showing up on Zoom and mm-hmm. me trying to explain what a narrative is the two first sessions didn't work really well because I was not owning really, um, I, I was not doing a good job at owning this new model that I had thought about. Mm-hmm. And finally, on meeting number three, I had I had a conversation with myself in front of the mirror and I looked at myself like, okay, you're go- either you're going to be true and transparent and say what this model is or, or, or you're done. You know, you close your consulting practice and go do something else. <laughs> <laughs> So and now this model is public. Now this model is available. I built a workshop this summer around this model. And every time I show it, I see people's eye lit. And I see a light bulb and they go, ah, oh, I never thought about this. This is so helpful. Or I can see myself, you know, I see so many great things. So I've also had people push back, poke, poke in it. You know, it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. Did, did did I have yes I had to simplify things I had to make some compromises and you know I I, I have to leave some details on the side. You yeah you anticipated my next question which is you know how do people respond to seeing this uh, for the first time and I think you I think you answered that without me asking it. Mm. Um, okay, <laughs> I'm remembering <laughs> a, a this has now been several years the way this podcast is being published, it will appear to have been moments for some people since they heard me interview uh, Jenny Dietrich, uh-huh. who came up with a model for uh, communications and marketing called the PESO model. And it sort of advocates a balanced portfolio approach to paid media, earned media, social and organic. That's what the PESO in her model stands for. Anyway, I remember her, I asked her, you know, about the visualization of this model. And she said, oh, yeah, we had an intern, um, you know, draw that up. I was like, I hope you gave the intern a bonus because it's become this very influential model in her industry. But Uh I I seem to remember in her community, you know, her expression of the origins of this, something similar where you just you sort of simultaneously feel the significance of it and, uh, and also feel like all this doubt about it, or you just, I don't know, you'll have to listen to that interview, Guillaume, because I think um, what you've got has similar potential. It's exciting, but it's also, yeah, who am I to tell people how to think about such a broad swath of things? 
Yeah, it's it uh, it's it's exactly the same story, the same pattern here. I feel exactly the same. Like I'm sitting on something really, it feels like yeah, it feels uh, full of potential, but at the same time, you know, you I feel like I'm never gonna be, or I used to feel like I would never gonna be expert enough in how to explain it and how to make it work and. And I still feel a little bit like, like this. I mean, this I have so much to write still about this model and to explore and examples to, to. So, so I I relate to um, the story about the peso model. A big part of the reason I do these conversations is, and and this is you know don't don't take this the wrong way. I think everybody has in them the potential to do something like what you've done. So that's not a. a, a you know, that's not to diminish what you've done. That's to say everybody, I think, has that potential. And I love hearing the messy, uncertain uh, journey that it takes to get there. And I so appreciate you and you sharing that. I'll end with this question, which I meant to ask earlier but didn't. <laughs> you said you believe that companies can be so much more effective when it comes to communication internally, uh, the feeling of like really wanting to be there. Do you see that as like, is that something you've experienced and you think more companies can have, or is that a somewhat utopian ideal where you just are trying to sort of elevate the entire world of business in, in the small way that we all ultimately can or cannot, <laughs> Do you feel like it's mm -hmm. a sort of utopian ideal where you'd like to see more do this thing, more do more than they believe is possible? Yes. So I, I wanna I want to um, clarify a few things. When I meant communication earlier, first of all, I was I was placing you know my what I was doing. I was I was what I was researching. I was mm, trying to fix communication. That was mm -hmm. twenty years ago, Philip. Mm. I said, yeah, I'm a communication specialist and so on. Right, but progressively i realize wait wait a minute i'm not trying to fix communication i am trying to fix how we I, I would love to see more companies be forward thinkers more authentic i would like to see um, more business leaders more ceos not just be better better, better communicator is utopian i think mm -hmm. but own their role more fully so it, it uh, here, what I'm trying to do is not just communication; is how we operate, how we how we gather as a group. So yes, that is very utopian. That is very idealistic. I don't think I don't think my my dream, my my vision of the perfect world will ever happen. Sure. <laughs> I think communicate communications and building companies is messy by you know by design, and I, I don't want to I don't don't necessarily want to change that. But my goal is to just bring a little bit, you know, just a, a little drop of uh, additional conscious in wh why we start a business, what we want to do with it. I think it's really what's in, in high demand these days. How, you know, how can we become more conscious of the impact we have? Impact on people, impact on the planet, impact on so many things, on our economies, on justice, fairness, so many values. And this starts with trying to understand what is the narrative that we are trying to put out there to maybe change, like recycling, you know, it's, it's a narrative that needs to evolve, that needs to change. Uh, more and more people start, are starting to think. 
Um, I am one of them. That's my belief. That's my opinion. Mm -hmm. And so, so I maybe I should look for entrepreneurs who are interested in this topic and share them my model with them and say, here is a way you could probably, here here is something that might be of of help in how you make decisions, how you operate, not just how you communicate, but who you want to hire, what you stand for. Um, that's the that's the perspective story, by the way, in my model, mm-hmm. and how you frame the opportunity. That's the opportunity story. Where where are you taking your company towards? Maybe that's going to help you have a greater, faster impact and and be more successful. That is a beautiful reason to get out of bed in the morning. Guillaume Viat, thank you for being on the Self Made Expert so much. Thank you for giving us this window into what it's been like for you to get to where you are today, folks. Uh, certainly are curious about the model itself, I hope. I've steered us away from discussion of something that works in an auditory format but probably works better in a video format. <laughs> Where can folks find out more about you and your work, you? So you can go to my website. It is metahelm.com, and you will see on my website an option to um, go to my daily insights and uh, I just renamed my email uh, list and I call it the next narrative. If you click on uh, the daily insights on metahelm.com, you can sign up to my daily emails and you will hear me talk about this model uh, quite often.